Lord, we are surrounded by people in this world and maybe in this church, by people just, that just want some kind of break, some kind of hope, some kind of answer from you. I sat with someone yesterday who said to me, Ferdy, how much have we prayed for this? And the thing that we feared happened in this person's life. Lord, and sometimes we do not understand. So today we come to you and we ask through your word that you have given us, that's your way of talking to us, that you will give us some kind of understanding that we may know, that we may heal. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I ask this. Amen. It starts with understanding. Healing does. Think for a moment, if any crisis happens, there's an accident and somebody got killed, what's the first thing that you would normally ask when you hear about this? What happened? What happened? You want to know the finest detail of this event to try to make sense out of the senseless. Somebody close to you die of an illness or whatever. Somebody down the street that you knew well dies. Uh, a, a little child gets cancer. And you all, always want to know what happened. This struggle with trying to understand why life is so difficult and so hard. And then how to deal with this. Because we live in a world that constantly brings its trauma to us. Day after day. Countless of people I have talked to in my life this coming Thursday, for 23 years, I've been part of ministry. Well, for 40 years, sorry, on the 23rd. In 40 years of ministry, I've talked to countless of people that when we start to talk, I discover about this, a lot of trauma in their life that was never resolved. And abuse. Parents that died one after the other. A death of someone else that was very close to this person that this person couldn't really deal with. Trying to understand and then the second part of this, trying to understand why it happened to me. Amazing that all of us do ask that question, isn't it? The moment when you start to hurt, the moment when your doctor tells you, man, there's a problem here, the moment when your car blows out on the freeway and you are stuck there, you ask, why did it happen to me today? Because for some kind of reason, we believe that we are exempt from what is going on in the world. And the reason why I believe I'm exempt is because I've got a God that's supposed to protect me, isn't it? I pray. I ask. God, will you please make sure that everything works well for us, for the family, for our congregation, for our nation, for people, for whatever. And then the opposite sometimes happens during my day. How could this happen to me? I've made my mistakes. I've got nowhere to run. The night goes on. I'm fading away. I'm sick of this life. I just want to scream. How could this happen to me? Understanding is the answer. Philippians 2. Last week, I read the section just before this. I knew that this was going to be the healing service. That's why the two are aligned. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, 
fellow shoulder soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Epaphroditus. A lot of people give their children biblical names, but I haven't heard this one a lot. I hear David's a lot, and John a lot, and Luke a lot, and Matthew, but not Epaphroditus. Hey, Epaphroditus, you've not yet done your homework. You know, it just wouldn't work that well anymore. You know, you're tired when you have said his name. Paul is talking about Epaphroditus, but he uses all these words. And let's look at the list of words that Paul is using here. He talks about longing. He talks about distress. He talks about illness, gravely ill to the point of death. He talks about sorrow upon sorrow, and then he talks about anxiety. It sounds as if Paul is talking about your life and my life. You know, I listened to a sermon one day, one day while I was driving. A guy was talking and he said at some point, you know, there is one sin that we all are having that supposed, we're not supposed to have. And I thought, what's he talking about? Then at some point he said, to worry. And I said to myself, I have sinned already today. Because all of us do worry, don't we? The Lord says we need to trust Him, but we can't get away from this life that brings upon us sorrow after sorrow, anxiety, worry, and all of these things, longing. How many times have I sat, and you have sat in this church, and we've longed for someone that we can't be with, our family, especially on Sundays. Louise and I and our kids miss our family because they're a long way off. Paul is in a sense reflecting what we all experience in our daily living. And he's an apostle. And he's in prison. Remember now, when Paul wrote this letter, this short epistle letter, to the congregation in Philippi, he's sitting in a Roman prison. It doesn't make sense. He's a good guy. He's a good man. He is one of the most important servants for God's kingdom at this point because the other apostles are working with the Hebrews and the Israelites in Israel. They are sharing the gospel there. But Paul said, you can send me out to all the other nations around the world and I will go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the best agent you can have. Whenever he goes to a town and he leaves, there's a small little uh, shop with Jesus' name on it. A franchise. He planted franchises all over for the Christian church in this world. A great guy serving God with all he can. He's in prison. How much work can you do for God while you're in prison? And Paul, I do not understand this. Aren't you an apostle? And the apostles were a special group of people. Remember now, the apostles' ship ended when the last apostle died. They had specific gifts that were given only to them. They could heal people. They could make people rise from the dead. There's a story of a guy that fell out of a window, and Paul also helped him. 
There's now numerous of stories where the apostles did amazing miracles that you and I can't really do. And now this guy that can rise, that can help people to rise from the dead, that can pray for people and heal them and touch them in prison, couldn't do a thing for Epaphroditus. Not a thing. Because when Epaphroditus fell sick, Paul could have just prayed for him and Epaphroditus, yeah, I'm good again. But he got sick and got worse. And the message got to the congregation in Philippi, and they said, but there's something wrong with Epaphroditus. We are concerned about him. And then they later heard, but he was doing not that well. And Epaphroditus was the guy that brought the gifts from this congregation to Paul, and he was also supposed to be a gift to help Paul while he's in prison, to tend to him and to see if he can come by the Roman God to bring Paul at least the stuff that he needs to be alive. Now the guy that was, who's the gift that brings the gift is so sick that Paul talks about suffering and worries and concern. But there's other words that Paul is also using in this section. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul talks about co-worker. Paul talks about a soldier, a fellow soldier. Paul talks about almost died for the work of Christ. And then in Philippians 1, he says that. And maybe that is where we need to start to think a little bit differently about our own suffering, our hardship. Maybe this is where the understanding needs to begin. To understand that Paul says, but he's a co-worker of mine and he's working for what? He's working for the kingdom. Paul says he's a, he's a soldier and, and being a soldier means that he's actually helping me to, to be what God wants me to be. But I'm called in service. And when I sign up to be a soldier, I can expect to be in danger. Paul said he almost died for the work of Christ because Paul says, I realized that what he did was for Christ and not for anything else. And then Paul says a very interesting thing. The next sentence. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Let's go back. Suffering is not for bad people. Suffering is part of the life of good people. I've had so many people say to me, I don't think I've done anything to deserve this. I've tried my best to serve the, Lord, the living Lord well. And look at my life. And then I remind them of Psalm 73, where Asaph sits. And he says, I've almost lost my faith because I look at the people around me and they're not believers and they are doing exceptionally well. And I who serve the Lord, my body, my life, everything around me is falling apart. I have nothing. And the harder I try, the worse it gets in my life. And he says, I could not find the answer until I went into your sanctuary. Sanctuary in that context in Hebrew means to be in the presence of the only holy living God. Understanding about this brokenness in this world starts with understanding that I can't deserve to be blessed beyond myself and nothing will ever happen to me that's bad. The reason is, we are soldiers for His kingdom, number three. We are soldiers. We are co-workers. 
Paul understood at some point sitting in prison meant that God used his imprisonment to do something for his kingdom. And let me say this now very clearly. I believe the difference between us as Christians and the world out there is that their suffering is senseless and our suffering is full of meaning. Because in some way, shape, or form, the suffering of Christians are used to build or to form or to do something good for the kingdom of God. Not that God wants us to suffer, but in this world we are exposed to suffering and God says, you are my child. And I know that everything that's happening with you is horrible and sometimes difficult, but my child, trust me, I can use all of this disaster and this brokenness and this pain and this hurt to serve my kingdom in some way because I'm never done with you. Never done with you. Maybe I should look at my life a little bit differently now. The guys who don't care for God, their suffering is meaningless. For me who believe in God, I can lie in bed or I can sit in my car or I can sit with someone that I need to comfort and say, I don't understand, I don't have an answer, but all I can tell you, in some way, shape or form, your suffering and what happened here can in some way benefit God's kingdom in some way. The second thing that's actually now where I will get to, God wants us to pray because He will answer our prayers. So I sat yesterday afternoon with Tommy Howard. We've been praying for him for many months. He had 16 surgeries on his right leg. And the thing that he prayed for was that he would not have any infection in his leg anymore. And the infection came back and back and back, and then they had to amputate his leg above his knee. So yesterday I sat with Tommy, and I said, we prayed a lot for your knee, didn't we? Yeah, I said, it didn't work that well, did it? He said, no. He said, but it's okay, God is good. I said, yeah, I know. Why it took so long, I do not know. What God accomplished in these months, almost a year and a half that he's been in hospital, in and out with these surgeries, I do not know. But maybe somewhere because he can say God is good, he touched the life of someone. And maybe as Paul's imprisonment means something for the Roman God, Tommy struggled with life and with his health and with all of these things for 17 months, I think. Maybe touched a life somewhere that helped someone to get closer to God and not spend eternity without God but with God. Maybe Tommy had to lose, lose part of his leg that someone else can be with God forever. I do not know. But all I know is that the living Lord did not not listen to our prayer. I said to Tommy, Tommy, I said to him yesterday, you could have been dead. You know this, yeah, I know. His infection was horrible at some point. We prayed and we prayed and he's still with us and he's fine. I said, maybe that's the way that God answers prayers, not in the way that we want, but he gives us more time. Not in the way that we want it, but He gives it in a way that will serve His kingdom. Will we get all the answers? No. I have no idea. Is there an answer when you sit with a family that have lost a child? There's no answer. I was a young pastor many years ago, and a little girl, three years old, drowned in their own little fish tank thing there outside pond. The mother turned away to talk to someone on the phone. The husband walked away for a moment around, and when they came back, she fell on this thing and she perished. I sat with that family while the body was still there. What do you say? What do you say? Can I defend God? Do I have an answer? I have not. I have not. 
I can't say this is the reason why this child was called back home so early. All I can ask, say is that God is God and I am not. I don't understand. But I need to rejoice, Paul says. Why? Because at the end, we have only God that we can turn to. At the end, God is the only one we can trust. At the end, we can only understand that this life that we have on this side of the grave is just the start of the life we will have after this grave. This is the warm-up lap of life. Many years ago when I played rugby, we would run around the field and do all kinds of stuff and be really sweaty and kick the ball and whatever, and then we would run on the field to start to play the game. This is the part before the game, this life here. It's not yet what God wants to give us. God wants to give us heaven. He wants to get us back in the garden. God doesn't want you and me to suffer and for children to die of cancer and to drown in a stupid pool or be killed by a car. God does not want this. Therefore, He says, come to me. Because in the midst of this brokenness, I am the answer because I bring you a promise that I will wipe the tear off your face. And I will help you with the healing that you need internally and externally on my time. And therefore, I'm going to ask of you to rejoice. I'm going to ask of you to rejoice. And rejoice means to understand that I am owned by God. Rejoice means that God loved me before I was born. Maybe it's good before I was born. He wouldn't have loved me after I was born, so maybe it was good. Rejoice because I understand the, lo- the grace. I'm now preaching too long again. Because of the grace of God and the mercy of God that Paul is talking about here. He says his mercy rested upon Epaphroditus. His mercy rested upon me. What's his mercy? The kindness of God that we do not deserve. Where does healing start? By knowing that God's got it. By then trusting God enough to not allow this world to steal your joy. Never. Don't allow your, this world to steal your joy. Because even though what happens with us in this life, we are all in the palm of the only holy living God. Amen.